The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome everyone, all of you intentional spirits out there. And uh, first and foremost, thank you for being you and being committed to being a person of, of social change and, and spiritual activism. Um, thank you for being intentional because as we say often, an intentional spirit is is guided by the passion coming deep from the solar plexus to be energized about being a change agent and not relying around when it's the best time or when I don't have anything else going on in my life. An intentional spirit moves forward in whatever way that he or she can. Um, I'm delighted today that we have Lama Paulden. She's with us. She is definitely an intentional spirit, and she fits right in with our with our global family. Thank you for being with us. It's a, it's a pleasure you. to have you. A pleasure, Temple, to be with you. And so what I would like to know and what our uh, listeners always like to know is is basically, you know, what made you you? Um, how oh. did you get... <laughs> Uh, where you are and and what you're about. And because it's through those life stories that either individually we have a healing or uh, you inspire someone else to step out there. Yes, exactly. Like I was inspired by many beings throughout history who delved deeply, you know, and completely into the spiritual. Yeah, we, we serve as inspirations for each other, I think, which is so beautiful. So, I remember as a small child, and I talk about this in in my book, Love on Every Breath, but at the age of about three, I remember uh, it's the first conscious memory I have of going to church. And as I walked up to the church, I remember thinking, maybe this is where people get more real. And there was a sense inside of me from this young age that, that there was something much more depth, much more meaningful that was below the surface of the way I saw people interacting or living, however that was in my young brain. And so I think the spiritual really became that for me. It became a way like to connect in with something that was more meaningful, that had yeah more reality to it than the surface of what was going on and so uh, then later when I was nine years old for Christmas one year my grandmother gave me two small books and one was called Wisdom from the Orient and the other was Wisdom from the Occident so the East and West you know wisdom sayings from great saints and sages and philosophers and I would read from those books every night before I went to bed, and I just love those wisdom sayings. And then <clears throat> when I was, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade, we studied comparative religion in school, and I just really 
loved all the different religions. And to me, all the different religions and all the different spiritual traditions are like flowers in the garden, like various beautiful flowers in our human garden. And I really loved that. And so then I ended up pursuing uh, many different avenues of spiritual inquiry and reading and practicing. I studied Gandhi quite extensively starting at age 14 and, you know, kept going, got involved in um, sitting Zen and studying and practicing Sufism and yoga, studying mystical Christianity, and then ended up studying comparative mysticism in college, which I basically put together for myself. And that all was so enriching and and then i was doing daily practice meditation and yoga and prayer for a couple hours each day and that also really helped me ground in myself and um, i think purify myself and calm myself and just really be able to put myself in a way where i could move forward, as you were saying, with intention in a good direction. And then by this time, I was 25 years old. And I start at 24, 25, I started praying very deeply to meet my teacher, my spiritual teacher. And I had had different spiritual teachers from different traditions. And I had a you know, deep, deep connection with Jesus from childhood, and I also had a deep connection with Mary. But I I really wanted to meet, quote-unquote, my teacher, like who was really my guru who I could really train with. So I prayed like this with a lot of deep longing, and um, I ended up being taken by a friend to meet a Tibetan Rinpoche, an old great Tibetan Lama who was teaching had come to the states and was teaching in san francisco and i went and within five minutes in his presence and hearing him speak i knew he was the one it was just a deep deep inner knowing and that was incredibly moving and joyful and so then i thought to myself well Um, I don't know anything about Tibetan Buddhism, but if he's in that, then I'm sure it'll be fine for me. And so I just started studying with him and a few months later went to the Himalayas where his monastery was and studied further with him and other great teachers. And that led into many years of studying and and meditating in the Himalayas. And it led eventually into a three-year retreat, which is uh, a common training ground uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, and and then it just kept unfolding like that. So I had the joy and pleasure of meeting many, many uh, great Tibetan masters and being able to study with them and speak with them personally and train with them. And then my central main teacher, that's always just stayed as a, kind of a rock solid ground and nourishment of my whole spiritual journey, even though he's passed away now, but on the inner planes, you know, we're still connected. And so that's my journey. After three-year retreat, about a year later, he authorized me as a Lama, which is the same as like a priest or a Roshi, like that, and uh, or a rabbi or something. And, and then, uh, you know, I 
began teaching and working with people. And so about 22 years ago, I established a Tibetan Buddhist center in the San Francisco Bay Area called Sukha City, a Sanskrit word, Sukha City Foundation for the practice and study of Buddha Dharma and have trained many people. And so that's, that's what's brought us to today. What a fascinating journey. It, it is interesting how our path, it just, it goes from like one step to another and, and the more and more it becomes clear and, and more defined when we are uh, paying attention. One of the things when you were talking about a three-year retreat, I I just had kind of an inner chuckle of, of how many people um, in our society don't feel like the world will go on if they take a weekend retreat <laughs> you are, you're mm-hmm. on one for three years it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> how cool but is that <laughs> out the idea. yeah you know it was it was an incredibly demanding situation I think working with your mind and not being able to really engage in any distractions like we had no course in those days it was the 80s we didn't yet have internet in the early 80s at least publicly and you know there was we had mail that was it no phone we could not go out of the compound for the three years four and a half months and you know that was by choice it's a cloistered retreat situation but uh, it really put me up against really facing myself and working on myself so it was was challenging, but it was definitely the most worthwhile thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, it sounds like it just catapulted you to a whole new level of being. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Through all the different intensive meditation practices. And in Tibetan Buddhism, the meditation, there's a, a whole series in the various lineages. They follow a similar pattern of meditations that are progressive and so you go through this entire meditation training program and and of course a lot of prayer and and a lot of physical yogas and things as well so when did you um when did it occur to you to to write a book it was there is there a story there did something happen uh your book um, is love on every breath I'd love that. Uh, one of the oh, things I you. say often is, you know, when people are excited about something or they love something or they're in awe of something and they say, oh, it was it was breathtaking. I I say it was breath giving, <laughs> you know, oh, oh, oh. It, it actually yes. gave a whole new level of breath into my being to be immersed in that in that holy present moment right then, being in awe of it. It just it, it was a breath giving moment of a much deeper breath. So I was really allured by the title of your book, Love on Every mm. Breath. That I love that. Mm, thank you. Well, for many years people were telling me, Oh, you should write a book but I was so busy running my center, teaching, um, working with people also a little bit individually as well as in groups and raising kids and all of this. And uh, then I took a sabbatical a few years, about three years ago for a year, and it was really well uh, needed after teaching really extensively for so many years. 
So I took a sabbatical, and during that time, a friend, uh, a writer, encouraged me to write a book proposal. And then at that time, it was just right after I started my sabbatical was our last presidential election. And after the election and during, too, you know, the divisiveness, the polarization, the hatred of various groups of people that seem to be, you know, really coming out in our country, that really spurred me to write this book because the book is a meditation and a practice that helps us uh, open our heart and also open our heart to ourselves and others and, and open to our innate loving kindness and compassion. But also, it we are unconsciously taking in suffering of the world so much of the time, and it helps us to process that suffering that we take in and just sort of that sits in us and doesn't really get worked and weighs us down. So it's also... I wanted to give people tools to work with uh, with that, with the suffering that they were already feeling and how to transform and liberate that into love so that the action in the world, our social action, political action, could be more free and more powerful. And then also in the face of all this divisiveness to really cultivate love for ourselves and for all sentient beings, you know, knowing at the core, you know, we all want to be happy and some people just go about that in ways that are not very wise, that are actually not going to that really accomplish that, you know. Absolutely. So um, I was just in a, a meeting with some um, officers of a, uh, a healthcare organization and, I was telling them how in in my own life, how um, to me to put things in somewhat of a frame of reference kind of help have a paradigm shift, you know, and I was telling them how in my own life of being a person that, you know, was committed to, you know, being a difference maker, et cetera, is that I had to understand there's a big difference between being a caregiver and a caretaker, you can offer all the care to humanity, to people, to your family, but you're giving an energetic presence of creativity about what is possible for them. And you're holding a space and you can empathize and you can hold that gentleness of love and and you can say, how can I support you and all those things. Whereas a lot of times people that want to be change makers, they start out early on in their lives being caretakers. They take the problems on. They take the issues on. They take the energy on. And they either burn out or um, they're the opposite of saying what they stand for uh, in many cases. And um, and and you see that. You know, you, you see people that even represent people taking care of themselves and they don't take care of themselves. It's a very interesting mm. dynamic. Yes, I, that's a helpful distinction that you've just made, I think. And uh, yeah, so this meditation helps us to really process through those kinds of issues and about ourselves. And, you know, often in the love on every breath meditation, the part usually that people find the most challenging is having love and compassion for oneself. 
And I think that's where this point you're bringing up that some people advocating self-care or self-love don't themselves take care of themselves. And I think that a lot of times there's this feeling that it's selfish or it's not important to take care of ourselves, you know, that we should just be there for others. And But I... I looked at this in myself a lot and I looked at a lot of the my great masters from Tibetan tradition and also great sages around the world and saints and I realized in looking at their life stories that they really did take care of themselves and by example they have taken care of themselves to show us how to do that and also to be there fully for others but with these kind of distinctions that you were just making. How can we give but not be drowned by the whole thing? So this meditation helps us to do that. That's very powerful. One of the things that I like to uh, define for people, Lama Paulden, is the the word meditation itself because it, it means so many things to so many different people. When you talk about the essence of meditation, is there a specific practice? Is there a certain way? I'm not talking about a right way or perfectionism, but uh, different forms in which you feel one level of meditation is more beneficial than another? Uh, No, I don't think one is more beneficial from another, but within the Buddhist tradition and especially within the Tibetan tradition, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kinds of meditations and it doesn't mean one is better than the next. They have different purposes and some of them are also progressive in nature. Although, interestingly enough, and I think this is a hallmark of the spiritual path, in some ways the beginning practices are also the end practices. They're so profound, the meditations from beginning to end. And it's like this in all traditions, that the depth is also there, the profundity is there at the beginning, middle, and end. So, you you know, but there are many different forms. And there's what most people think of meditation is a complete just sitting in utter stillness and silence and maybe connecting with the breath or something else and stilling one's mind and just simply resting there in witnessing or in open awareness. And I talk about in Love on Every Breath, the first step is resting in open awareness. And there's a chapter all about that and what that is, what that means. And So that, in this case, is the first step, and that could be a whole meditation. And within our practice also, one could meditate, rest, and open awareness for years or whatever. But um, And then there's other steps that follow along, and it's a progressive thing that really rewires our, our neurological system. It rewires our patterns and habitual patterns and helps us to touch in, it lifts the veil so that we can feel and touch into and actually more and more embody who we truly are, the wisdom, the love, 
the innate awakened presence or divine presence that's really at the heart of who we are. So the progressive and the different steps of the meditation help peel away the layers to help put us in touch with our own divine or awakened nature and uh, help us uh, then, you know, grow from the inside out in a very authentic way. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, so this Love on Every Breath is what is called in Tibetan like a creative uh, kind of meditation where there's visualization involved or imagine it, imagination of, of, uh, of a whole thing and there's mantra involved, the breath is involved, one is does you know so there's like a whole system online involvement and we could say in its essence the most simple form of the practice is simply to open to let go of preconceived ideas and notions just to open and to breathe into what is and then to simply just breathe out loving kindness. And this begins to transform our experience of ourselves and the world. And it becomes, it goes from being something that's newly introduced into an awareness to just becoming habitually, like uh, it becomes automatic, right? That that exchange that you're having between the spaces of the, of the moment. You know, I know that when I used to teach, don't stress the small stuff. One of the things was to, to pause, to have a big breath when someone's telling you about something that's going on in their lives. And what people have the tendency to do is, is start talking, want to fix it or react to it or whatever and it's so cool when you are in a practice, somewhat like a meditation between a moment of someone communicating, that if you just kind of pause, they often are able to come to a solution out loud in front of you, or they follow it through all the way and say, God, this now that I've heard myself say that, it doesn't seem as big as I, you know, or whatever. But when people have that tendency to just quick react or quick, have an answer or volunteer to do something, you know, or take it away. Let me take it away. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it gets mm-hmm. in the way of, of often what can happen in a present moment of, of the space. And, and, and that's what I, I, I feel even in talking with you that you have created such a pattern in your own life that just talking to someone is a form of meditation because there's the space between the space of the sentences that allow. And that's really huge because that to me is where the heart shines and shares and expresses. Mm, mm, That's beautiful. Well, I think you're touching upon that meditation and spiritual training is training and practice and what it's training us to do and Um, kind of growing this into is to be able to rest in meditation to bring meditation into every moment of our lives which really means being in awake 
awareness all the time about what's going on in herself, what's going on around us, and to then from being more awake to really what's happening in our whole field to being able to respond to it as skillfully as possible and with kindness. And I think the more we do that, the more uh, we come to see our own patterns and we see, you know, what's happening with others. And uh, in back to the self-love part of it, and it relates with something you just brought up, that I think, you know, that's why in this practice, before we really begin working with the suffering of others, we develop strong self-love in this meditation and work with the love and healing of ourselves. And if we don't do this, then that tendency to rush to fix it for others is really strong because we can't tolerate their pain because we can't tolerate our own pain. And when we face our pain and face it with love and as much wisdom as we can and work with it, and work to actively transform, heal, and liberate our own pain, then I think what you're talking about where we can wait and step back from trying to fix people and give them the loving space to actually heal themselves and come up with their own solutions. Because the wisdom for each person is innate. And our job as teachers or Coaches, therapists, is to help people unlock their own innate wisdom. You know, rather than telling them what to do or giving them the solutions. Mm, Absolutely. And over time, over time, over time, when we feel that that's our role is to give people solutions, I feel... Uh, that especially like in a parenting model or in a, a good friend model when it's like, oh, I, it's my responsibility to give you the answer. Resentment happens over time because mm-hmm. we're, we're really, it's our destiny to become self-reliant while at the same time be interdependent. Mm-hmm. And, 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 yeah. and proving to our own worth that and our own ability that we can discover the truth within. Well, we're having a wonderful conversation. Go to lamapaldon.org, P-A-L-D-A-N-D-E-N.org uh, during our break, and we'll be right back with you in a few moments. Thank you, everyone, for being with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. Celebrating diversity and inclusivity for Pride Month. We are one. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. 
Here's a Unity Mindful Moment by Ed McShane, a coach for your heart. I used to belong to the If You're Happy and You Know It, Clap Your Hands Club. These days, given the person I live with, it's a little closer to If You're Happy and You Know It, just be okay with that. My actions of unbridled excitement and happiness need not necessarily be seen. I can express my joy with the bathroom door closed and the shower running. I don't need another person to experience my demonstration of joy for my feelings to have meaning to me. This doesn't mean that you should suppress your expression of joy, not in the least. Others can just see and feel your joy through your energy. Joy can be peaceful, active, loud, expressive, warm, and silent. There can be great peace in joy. Sometimes, decide to embrace it with genuine confidence within the serenity joy can bring. To find out more about A Coach for Your Heart, visit acoachforyourheart.com. For over 23 years, Liz Dawn and her team at Celebrate Your Life have been presenting transformative events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers. Experience a Celebrate Your Life event for yourself, October 31st to November 4th in beautiful Sedona, Arizona. Explore your spirituality and open your mind to some new ideas. These events are awesome soul fests that heal and transform. Log on to CelebrateYourLife.com to find out more. Congratulations to Unity Books for winning honors as Best Small Press from the Nautilus Book Awards. Two books published by Unity are also winners of the prestigious Nautilus. Stations of the Cosmic Christ by Matthew Fox won a gold medal. And Andrew Harvey's book, Turn Me to Gold, won silver. The Nautilus Award celebrates books supporting spiritual growth and positive social change. Find these award-winning books at unity.org shop or on Amazon in print or ebooks. Discover how to connect with our loved ones on the other side with Suzanne Giesman and Messages of Hope. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central as Suzanne shares evidence that love never dies. In evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and author, Suzanne brings hope and healing through her gift of communication with those who have passed. Suzanne brings messages of hope and love that go straight to the heart. Tune in this Thursday right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. And here we are, and we're talking to Lama Paulden. And her website is Lama Paulden, P-A-L-D-E-N.org. She has studied for the majority of her life about meditation, awareness, being present in the moment. And her new book, Love on Every Breath. Hey, it's a great gift uh, to give to your family, to sharing with other people. Because as we know, peace is is so much more than the absence of noise. It's the discovery of who you are inside. And so I want to urge you to join me on templehaze.com and firstunity.org and access all of our materials, whether it's YouTube or Facebook Live, whether it's quotes and posters. But I'm sure if you're enjoying our show today, you'll find some things that are beneficial in your life. And so um, Lama Paulden, uh, as you were talking earlier before we went to break, I was I was thinking about, um, I had the good pleasure for 
many years to travel the country and the UK and teach people, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. And uh, sometimes my soul would go, why am I doing this, living out of a hotel room and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, and I would rather just be in a spiritual community and blah, 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 blah. You know, and that personality, how we can be. And, and I finally got it one day. It's like, hello, you know, this, this whole thing you're going around teaching is, is to teach you. (laughs) Oh, okay. I got it. So anyway, what I, what I discovered about myself and I discovered about others on that journey is that often when we're stuck in something, it's because we're stuck in some kind of extreme, you know, and, you know, cause you'll hear people say, well, I know I need to lose weight and I know I want to lose weight, but I'm not willing to give up the things I enjoy. Well, who said you need to do that? You know, what about taking small steps and some of those things that you enjoy? Look at those that you could also purchase very similar things that don't have carbs or very similar things that are low in calories or whatever. But when you were talking about, you know, meditation and we were talking about quiet, what really helped me is that I was not only, you know, walking around with a lot of noise in my mind, but I was walking around with a lot of noise in my 30s. You know, I was just like the radio was going all the time. I wasn't in the car that it wasn't a radio or uh, we didn't have CD players. And I'm not going to keep going because then everybody would do all the numbers on me. But anyway, you know, I, it was just noise and it was always playing or to get home and then turn on the TV and the TV's running and and it becomes that it's so there that it's not even hardly noticed anymore. So the point is, instead of saying, I'm not comfortable with the quiet and the silent, to be aware of how do you resonate with noise and how can you decrease one of those things? I just give up one of those um, in your ride back and forth to the office. Just not have any noise. What does that feel like? Not be on the phone. What does that feel like? And to start weaning oneself off of just consistent habits um, that we do them so much we're not even aware of how much we hear the noise. And when we live in noise, I find, and this is where I'm getting to with you because this is your level of expertise I feel that's one reason that we are so influenced by what the news says is because we are so around noise that we have lost that inner control and awareness and intuition within ourselves because of the busy making that's always it's in other words, it ultimately becomes a reactive system instead of a proactive system. Did that make any sense at all? (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) That does make a lot of sense, Temple. And I think, you know, what you're talking about in a sense is distraction. And if we're constantly distracting ourselves by outer noise, and then, of course, as you mentioned, the inner talking, the noise is going on simultaneously, there's really no chance to just take a breath, step back, and actually connect with ourselves and with the deeper source of nourishment and peace. And we need to step back from all of that in a sense, like you were saying, people lose connection with ourselves. We lose connection with our own innate uh, presence, our own innate knowing. And by stepping back, you know, 
literally or figuratively taking a breath and really uh, starting to get in touch with ourselves, being more aware of really what we're feeling, what we're sensing, what we're perceiving, and not just flooding ourselves with noise and stimulation all the time, then when we do take that space and time, then we can learn to connect with, you know, an inner place in ourself that's very, very nourishing and peaceful and gives us a ground from which to relate with the the whole outer and inner worlds. Mm. So powerful. And I think yeah, you're right. it's, just a, it's, a, it's a small, if we step. make just small commitments each day, nothing is big right. within itself. Right. And yeah, big things don't really work. As humans, we're incredibly stubborn and slow learners. So we have to work skillfully with ourselves. And like this book, The Meditation, is in a series of steps, and you can do each step. Or, you know, in the more extended meditation or a brief on-the-spot 30-second meditation. and Or you could take one of the steps and really work that. And I think you're right. In spiritual practice, it's really helpful to go step-by-step step and not try to bite off more than we can chew. But like, say, for example, if we want to start a meditation practice, I often recommend to people, start with 10 minutes or 20 minutes a day, something that feels very doable. And then you will enjoy it. You'll look forward to it. It's very doable because with spiritual practice and meditation in general, the most powerful thing is to have it in our life every day. Even if it's five minutes is better than, you know, like an hour every two weeks or something. And that begins to incorporate it into our life. And then, you know, we can always expand on it. But it's it's really valuable, those small steps. And, you know, um, that way we can feel success. We can, you know, see um, that we're actually able to shift and transform. If we bite well, off huge chunks, you know, it, it becomes overwhelming and sometimes our ego will just react and not want to do anything. It'll feel overwhelmed or insufficient. Yeah, it becomes a, a defense mechanism, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of little, little small steps, you know, ultimately right. lead to a lot. And, um, right. Right. And so I, I did. I just felt that was important because, um, you know, when you look at the the silence that you are expressing and love on every breath, um, it wasn't like an overnight turn. It took incrementally decisions that have led to this over a a course in time. You know, for me, if I go too long without silence, it's like going too long without water. No, it just has to happen. It's a, it's it's a, a necessity that in the early days and I, when we do, uh, I used to attend the chaplain retreats here in my um, earlier days in ministry. But um, it was so interesting in that we would tell them, you know, and starting tonight at seven, 
uh, we're going to be going into the silence and you're going to have your dinner in silence and you're going to be silent until, you know, the next day around 10 a.m. <laughs> you know, we'd tell them that around one o'clock. And it was amazing to watch everybody's anxiety, right? And they just, everybody's mm-hmm. kind of talking on top mm-hmm. of each other and they're like, oh my God. And this energy, because it was just like that was not something that they were used to. <laughs> right, right. It kind of panics people in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think it does. For people it does. to get used to that gradually, and it reminds me of uh, colleagues of mine, Buddhist teachers, that there's a large um, a Theravadan center, Buddhist center near where I live, and they have big retreats constantly. And they have some teen and young people retreats and they were telling me that it, say a week long retreat and they collect the cell phones when the you know kids get there the young adults get there and f- first of all that's like oh my god we're going to give up our cell phone for a week you know freak out and then by the end of the week they said usually a third of the cell phones get left behind they forget to collect them because after a week <laughs> without the cell phone they just forget all about it and that's so you know cell phones are great but on the other hand to have that break and to realize you know that they can open into a whole different way of being and feeling and you know expressing so i think that's really beautiful and you know, that silence, like you were talking about, that quiet. I think what people don't realize maybe is it's so unbelievably nourishing if you can open to the quiet. And, you know, people, you know, have often spoken about, oh, they love their country place because it's so quiet. But that quiet and peacefulness is actually always available to us, even within a loud situation if we can find that quiet inner place of peace and nourishment that's connected it's not disconnected from you know what we would say the buddhas or god you know the divine presence pure spirit you know that place inside us is the direct link up to our connection with all of that Mm, so true well, one of the things that that you were communicating uh, during break is that often people associate meditation, silence, uh, the power of the breath with some level of religiosity or not. Um, you've had many doors and experiences with that. Let's let's talk about that. Yes. Yeah, so. As I said, I really have a great love and appreciation for all the religious traditions. And I also understand why people don't want to be involved with religion and choose a path of secular humanism or activism and or whatever, however they go about their lives. So it was really important to me in Love on Every Breath and sharing this meditation practice that's at least a thousand years old from this Tibetan lineage I'm in, which actually incidentally traces back primarily to two women who were awakened in 11th century in what's now Kashmir in India. But um, at any rate, in sharing this thousand-year-old meditation that's Buddhist, I did want to also make it highly adaptable. And, And my teacher felt the same way about these practices 
that they express universal truths and that they're highly adaptable to any religious tradition or for people who have no, um, you know, no um, interest in connecting in a religious way, but more just in their own pure spiritual way. And so I've written a chapter that helps people adapt this meditation to any religion you're in your or your own kind of philosophical outlook and way of doing things if you're non-religious, how you might adapt this. And to me that was important because these series of steps in the meditation are all uh, connected to universal principles of spirituality that, uh, you know, can can and do manifest in a variety of, of different ways and different traditions. And, you know, spiritual practice at the core, I think, well, this is my, maybe my prejudice, but I think that when we really, truly open into the spiritual path and our own uh, awakening, our own process of becoming who we truly are, then we begin to understand more and more about all the traditions. We don't think, oh, ours is better, or they're no good, or we want to kill those people because they don't think like we do. We we do begin to see the common links between all the traditions and the common wisdom. And I've been for many years, the last 10 years or so, involved in a group called Contemplative Alliance that came out of the Global Peace Initiative of Women, which came out of some UN interfaith women uh, big conferences and stuff. And so we meet with religious people from all over the world, different traditions, and also people who are activists or doing secular humanist work in the world. And we have so much more in common than we have differences. And our differences are... Like I said, to me, they're the expression of the beauty of the human soul. And so in understanding our underlying, uh, the underlying similarity in the wisdom and the teachings in the various um, different ways that can crop up and then delighting in the differences, that can bring us together and bring us into more learning, more openness, more fellowship with others, and I think a deeper appreciation of our own tradition as well. How has this work changed you? Ah, good question. I think in many ways, I think first of all, through, you know, a long process of coming into a much more profound and deep kind of aware connection with myself and who I am on a, you know, on a more true level. Uh, I felt after three year retreat, like my heart had reconnected with itself and that those words just came to mind with the felt experience. And it, it you know, I had no idea what that meant, but that was the feeling. And so that, was very, very profound uh, and like my heart all getting connected up with itself. And then I think, 
you know, some ways development of more patience, more generosity, more kindness, and particularly uh, really opening and both developing my capacity for love in a non-codependent way, but the the development of, of real love for myself and others. So being able to grow and develop that and also more and more uncover that innate love inside of myself. So that has really, uh, these meditations have really helped that. And to also to feel much more connected and have access to the feeling of divine presence, of pure being, of spirit, you know, the whatever language we're going to call this in Buddhism, we say to Buddha nature, to the awakened beings and, you know, that connection like that. So I, I feel, you know, really, really um, such gratitude for the traditions, the tradition I've primarily been in, as well as the others, to my own teachers, to all the teachers and saints, sages throughout all of you know, the ages that have given us such, um, you know, from such generosity, have taught, have guided, have sustained us, have inspired us and given us tools and practices, held out a, a helping hand to us to be a support and a friend on our journey. Oh, that's just... That's beautiful what you what you said. Um, I think about what we state here very often um, without doing the whole thing, but it's the great invocation by Charles Fillmore. We are now in the presence of pure being. And that mm. one sentence to me is uh, it's a meditation. It really is, and I use it so often. Now in the presence of Absolutely. pure being, which means in yeah. pure being, there's there's really no memory, there's no future, there's it's just pure being, and it there's no telling in that pure beingness what mystery can present itself, what experience can unravel or or, or shine its light. It's just uh, really powerful. I, I love that, oh, I, and I I've I've heard you uh, more than one time mention that that pure being it's like having a dry eraser board that's absolutely empty to this day and this moment and without putting and writing down that it needs to look just like it did yesterday <laughs> there's possibilities in that pure beingness that a lot of things can occur uh infinitely really i totally agree i totally agree and that it's interesting that I think that's so beautiful, that line that you quoted, really beautiful, because I think, you know, and this is our opportunity, too, when we go to sacred places in nature, places we feel are sacred, or we go into a temple, a cathedral, a beautiful chapel, you know, it's a, it's a re- outer reminder that we can kind of drop everything and open to pure being. And so, you know, that I, I love that teaching in your tradition. And it's interesting because the word pure being is that I'm using in is a translation from Sanskrit and Tibetan of the word in Sanskrit is dharmata. 
And another translation is reality as it is or suchness. Now, one might think that pure being, suchness, and reality as it is sound like they have nothing to do with each other. They're talking about totally different things. But those are all English words that are approximating what that word dharmata means. So, And I feel that in what you're describing, that suchness, that reality as it is, that pure being, how all those words are pointing to something like that you said that's beyond time and space, beyond words, that is the innate presence of, of what is, that can unveil itself to us if we're open and quiet and we don't have a lot of preconceived notions, we're not trying to manipulate what's going on, we're simply opening with our heart-mind to what is. Mm. Which, yeah, but I was just going to say, which by the way, is the first step in this meditation practice and exactly really like you're describing how you worked with um, that now you are in the presence of pure being. Well, of course. <laughs> right? I mean, it would just have to be that in sync. That's, that's what it's all about. Well, you know, one of the things I, I love are stories, and, and I know you work with people everywhere. Is there a story that comes to mind of, of transformation, uh, awareness that without naming, but a person that you could share with us? Yes, and there's lots of stories I tell in the book. One of them that I really love, I think might be helpful for people, because, again, people can find meditation or some practice, Tibetan practice, intimidating. So in this case, a three-year-old came to me many years ago. She was brought in by um, uh, her godmother, to see me and she had been introduced to some basic spiritual principles and the idea of meditation but you know she was three years old and she came, she wanted to see me or her godmother thought it might be helpful to see me because she was very upset when she saw children being mean to each other on the playground or in other environments and that really upset her and she also was really upset when she'd be uh, in the car and driving somewhere and she would see dead animals on the road who'd been hit by a car or something. So she wanted to know if there was anything that she could do, you know, about this. So, you know, obviously on an outer level at three years old, there wasn't anything, but she, um, um, you know, was quite a precocious little girl and very sincere and very loving. So I gave her the pith essence of this love on every breath practice that when she saw these things and felt them, uh, she could breathe that suffering into her heart where there was a powerful light. And in the tradition in the book, I have a drawing of a Vajra, which symbolizes our pure, indestructible, pure being, our awakened nature, divine nature. And so the suffering on the in-breath is brought in, and the instant it touches that light, the light emits a lightning bolt and completely transforms that suffering into love, into healing energy, 
into um, awakening energy. And so I taught her to do that, just breathe in the suffering she was feeling already and then breathe out. It transforms through this light and breathe out the love. And so she came, she was quite happy. She came back six weeks later and said that that meditation, that practice was really helping and she was doing it on the spot in her daily life when these things happened. And it gave her a sense of agency it gave her a sense of not being powerless. It gave her a sense of being able to transform the suffering into love and joy in her own heart, in her own being. And through that, she was able to feel more effective. And I think this, as she grew up, this gave her, um, you know, then a platform to then act in the world from too, that was a platform of love and and wisdom in a sense that and so that that was just wonderful uh to interact and to realize that even a three-year-old can learn to do this meditation so i don't oh, that's, want, that's you know. so beautiful i tell you and it's been wonderful being with you today go to llama our beloved llama today please join her and connect with her uh, she is a powerhouse and we are so blessed thank you Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.